0: Galatians 3. so if you want to turn there with me Galatians 3, we're going to look at uh, probably our biggest section of Scripture that we've looked at today. Um, I'm not sure if this has ever occurred in your home, surely not, but sometimes in our home, uh, the kids will come to my wife and they'll say, "Hey mom, what time do we need to go to bed?" And she will decree a 10:30 bedtime. And then at some point later that evening, they will come to me and they will say, hey dad, what time do we need to go to bed? And not knowing that faith has already decreed 10.30, I'll say, how about midnight or something like that? And they say, yes. Faith already told them 10.30, I say midnight. The question then becomes, whose law are they supposed to follow at that point? Does the first decree that faith made matter more because it was the first one? Or does the second decree that I made matter more because it was the last decree that was made? And maybe in my kids' minds, they think, well, dad's dad, and so we'll go with his decree. Or mom's mom, and so we're going to go with her decree. Now, I'm sure your kids never, never pit you against each other in your home and uh, try to play that issue. And I'm sure that was never, ever the intention of my sweet little angels here on the front row to pit me and mom against each other. Well, there is a similar, slightly similar situation going on in the Galatian churches. So for those of you who may just be joining with us, I, I do want to review a little bit that we have been working through Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. These are the churches that are in the area of like Iconium, Lystra, Derby. You read about this in the book of Acts. And so far, we've learned that false teachers have infiltrated into those churches and they are attempting to turn the Jesus followers back to the law. They are teaching what Paul calls another gospel, a, a false gospel that, that says you need Jesus. Plus something else. So they would say, you need Jesus, plus you need to be circumcised. Or you need Jesus, plus you need to keep the dietary laws that we find in the Mosaic covenant. Or any host of other things that they would want to add in. It was Jesus plus something. And, and so far in the letter, Paul has been working very hard to make a case that his gospel is this, Jesus plus nothing. Just Jesus. For a couple of chapters, he's been weaving, he's been layering, argument upon argument making an ironclad case which we're not going to review all of this morning but i do want to remind you at least of the last couple of weeks because there's been one name that's come up one point of subject that keeps coming up in these recent sections and that is abraham so we have to catch up a little bit with abraham so i just want to give you some bullet points to to jog your memory of what we've talked about and that's that abraham was blessed by God so that he could in turn be a blessing to all the nations of the world. This is Genesis chapter 12, the promise that Yahweh makes to Abraham. Now, how was he blessed? The the blessing was that Abraham would have an offspring, an heir, a seed that would come from him that would be the Messiah, the Christ. The rescuer, the promised one, that's how he would be a blessing. And that promise that Yahweh made to Abraham and that Abraham put his faith in came before circumcision, came before the covenants that were made with him. And we are made sons of Abraham, offspring of Abraham, heirs of Abraham by believing in that promise. Not by being circumcised not by following some particular code, but by having faith in the same promise that Abraham put his faith in, that God would provide a savior. We know a lot more about that savior than Abraham did. We know he came, he is Jesus, the one that we gather together, the one that John just sang about, the central figure that pulls it all together. And the opposite of belief, another bullet point, the opposite of belief or faith is attempting to keep the law on your own. It's attempting to perform and act in such a way that God will be pleased with you and welcome you. The law, as we looked at last week, brings a curse. And the reason is, it's because we cannot keep it. We'll cover that again today. So that catches us up a little bit with today's text, Paul's next layer of argument that he's gonna lay The false teachers were claiming this. False teachers were claiming that the Mosaic law replaced the covenant that God had made with Abraham. So that the Mosaic law replaced the covenant that God made with Abraham. So now you may get my opening story. Does a midnight decree given by me replace the 1030 decree that was given by my wife? Well, in the case of the Galatians, Paul argues that the Mosaic law cannot and does not replace the covenant that God had made with Abraham. So let's look at this text together. You'll see it as we read through, beginning in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed so then the law was our our guardian or our tutor until christ came in order that we might be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a guardian for in christ jesus you are all sons of god through faith for as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Well, as you can see, That's a lot of text. We're gonna move rather quickly through it, but not before we pray this morning. Father, we need your help. We need your help to understand the significance, the importance of these preserved truths for us here this morning. I pray that, above all, we will rejoice in the Savior that has been given as we consider these things today. Help me to communicate them clearly Help us to understand, help us to do the word, not just hear the word today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin by talking about the priority of the promise of Abraham. Paul argues that even amongst humans, covenants that are made, commitments that are made cannot legally be changed once they are ratified. No doubt Paul has in his mind Uh, Greek and Roman covenants that would be the norm in this particular time frame in Galatia. Um, so, So in other words, he says they cannot be changed once they have been set in stone or solidified, ratified. But the particular covenant that he has in mind and why he brings this up is the one that Yahweh made with Abraham back in Genesis. The covenant that promises that the one offspring that will come from you, Abraham, will be the Christ, will be the promised one, the anointed one. That's the covenant that Paul is focusing in on. Just a couple weeks ago, we learned from Matthew's begets in Matthew chapter 1 that the first name on that list in chapter 2 is Abraham. The last name on that list of genealogy is Jesus. Jesus. Matthew points out that he is the promised one. He is the Christ who came. He is the fulfillment of what Yahweh speaks to Abraham in Genesis. And so Paul says in verse 17 that even though the law comes 430 years later, remember the law didn't come until Moses went up on Mount Sinai after they had been delivered out of Egypt and he was given the law from Yahweh 430 years after this promise is made and he says it does not annul it. It does not make Abraham's covenant void. It doesn't do away with it. The law in no way, understand this, the law in no way changes the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham. That's a pretty simple point. But it does beg the question, if, if the law doesn't change the covenant that Yahweh made with Abraham, then why was it given? What's the, the, the purpose of the law? And that's what Paul addresses, notice, how he begins, verse 19, asking this question, why then the law? Well, his initial answer is this. It says the law was added because of transgressions. That's the way that the, the ESV reads, and your translation may read a little bit different, but either way, you read it in whatever translation, it's still confusing. You wonder, well, what does that mean that it was added because of transgressions? As I mentioned last week, one of the things that the law does is it reveals to us the character and the nature of a holy God. It reveals to us what God is like because it sets the standards for what creation is meant to be. But that's a two-sided coin. Because when I see and when I know the character of God as I look at the law... What does that reveal about me? What does it reveal about you? I think of the story that we find in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah has his vision where he sees the Lord, he sees Yahweh in the throne room. And what he describes is glorious and terrifying. And the angels, the seraphim are are flying and singing, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah in that moment is experiencing the the character and the nature of Yahweh. And what does it reveal about him? He says, I'm undone. (laughs) I'm undone. It, It puts him in his place. The purpose of the law, the purpose of the law was to demonstrate to man, that's to us, our total sinfulness the purpose of the law is to demonstrate that we're sinners and that we are incapable in and of ourselves to please God by our works and we need mercy and we need grace That's the purpose of the law. Paul says this if you jump down to verse 24. He says, the law is a guardian. The law is is a tutor that, that leads us to our need for Christ so that we might find justification by faith in him, not in what we do. This is the ongoing story of Israel through the pages of the Old Testament try as they may to keep the law of God and to not break covenant. What do they do every time? They break covenant. Every story that unfolds reveals their inability to do this and that somebody else has to come and do this for them. And there's these glimmers of hope that come along the way. You're introduced to a guy like Moses and you think, man, Moses, meek Moses, maybe he can do it. But he doesn't. maybe it's Joshua, well he dies. And then you go through this litany of the judges like Gideon and you think, Gideon, yeah. And then he fails. And then they anoint a king and you think, surely it's gonna be this Saul guy. No, that's over very quickly. And then comes David. And you think, it's going to be David. David will be the hero. David will be the one who keeps covenant with Yahweh. He loves Yahweh. And then he crashes and burns. In verse 19 and 20, Paul starts talking about angels and and messengers. What's that all about? It's a bit confusing, but I want to sum it up in short Paul means to make this particular point that the law is inferior because the law was given by mediation. The law came through a man, Moses, came through a messenger, Moses. But the Abrahamic covenant wasn't made through some mediator. The Abrahamic covenant was made with Abraham and Yahweh in the room. And so Paul's just, again, adding another little thread, another layer on top that says... The Mosaic Law is far inferior because of the way even in which it was delivered. But again, the question persists. So, do we, do we just rip these, this, this first chunk out of the Bible, the Old Testament? Do we need it? What's the point? Sure seems like we could do that. And there, are, there have been, even in recent years, some pretty well known. Uh, Pastors that have said things like You can can unhitch yourself from the Old Testament now We don't really need that anymore We can stick with just what we find in the New Testament What does Paul say to that? He says, certainly not No, the Old Testament, the law has a purpose And he repeats points that are already made First he says this, he says, the law cannot give life Understand that Why, we talked about that last week. What does it bring? Death. The law brings a curse. It imprisons, and I love the language that he uses here. He says, the law imprisons everyone under sin. You can't go to the pages of the Old Testament. You can't go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and read them and not recognize your guilt, not recognize your inability. It imprisons you and says you're guilty. Guilty. You're a sinner. You can't escape that. The second thing it means is this, that our only hope of rescue, our only hope is a rescue operation because salvation, it it can't come from me. There's no prison break out of this one. Salvation has to come to me. From someone else. And it does come to me in the person and in the work of Christ. Notice verse 26 as Paul makes that transgression or makes that transition. 26, again he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Christ makes us. The sons, the daughters of God through faith. Now, I'll have more to say about sonship, being a a son of God next week as we move into chapter 4 and the first few verses there. But but for now, I want to ask you the question. Have you ever in your life expressed faith in Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you recognized I'm guilty, I'm imprisoned by sin. And try as I may, I I cannot escape this on my own. I'm here to tell you today, and what Paul is telling us today is is the way of escape out of this guilt. The way to, to, to move beyond the death and the curse of the law to the blessing and life is through Christ through recognizing and confessing that it's he who came it's he who did fulfill the law to perfection he's the one who made it further than Moses and David ever could together in living a righteous life he lived the life that we were meant to live and he died the death that we brought on ourselves because of our choices in sin We put our faith in Christ, what he did on the cross. Have you confessed your faith in him? That's what it means to be saved. And if if you have, rejoice in this with me for a moment, because you have been adopted into God's family, made a joint heir with Jesus himself not because of anything that you did, but because of everything Christ has done for you. The second point Paul makes in these closing verses is not only are we we sons of God when we believe, but we are also baptized into Christ. We are are baptized, uses these two pictures of being, being baptized, immersed into Jesus, or being clothed with Jesus. Once again, bringing up the idea of spiritual union, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and we'll talk about the implications of that as we continue in the letter to the Galatians. But the point that I think we need to make here is that this union that we have with Jesus, it's not based upon any work that we do. It's based upon the work that Jesus did. When he died... I wasn't even alive yet. I wasn't even a thought yet. When he died, I died with him. And when he rose, I was given new life. That's our union with Christ. I would encourage you to read Romans 6 that speaks just in more detail of what that looks like. But but right here, this union, this baptism with Jesus, it's where the power is. It's where the presence of Christ is in us. It's where our security is found. None of that comes from you, it, it can't. It all comes from Him and what He has accomplished. And then in verse 28, Paul adds in an immensely important truth. It says, race, gender, your station or status in life, they do not matter when it comes to the kingdom of Christ. Notice that verse with me again. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Like any other society, the the Roman society was divided into various classes of people. But Paul makes clear in this verse that, that in Christ, in Him, there is to be no racial, there to be no social or sexual discrimination. Not in Him. If you're in Christ and you're an Asian, then you are just as much in Christ as an African American brother or sister. Who's a Jesus follower? If you're a homeless person who has to beg on the streets and you are in Christ, you are no more, you are no less in Christ than the, the, the white middle class, upper middle class CEO who lives in the nice gated neighborhood. Male, female, equal in Christ. In the end, Paul's point in the final verse is the same as it's been for the past few weeks. If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. You're heirs according to the promise. And you don't don't get to Christ by keeping the law, by being circumcised, by doing a list of things. You get to Christ by trusting in Him, putting your faith in Him. So the biggest question today is are you in Christ? Have you put your faith in Him and in Him alone? And if so, rejoice. Rejoice today in the salvation that's been given. And if so, as John shared a while ago, share that. Share Christ with others who aren't in Him, who are under the curse, who are imprisoned in sin. Show them there's a way out. There's a rescuer who's come. His name is Jesus. One other question that we all have to honestly answer is do you in any way feel you're more in Christ? You're more loved by Him than others because of your race, because of your social standing? because of your gender. The Bible speaks boldly against racism, sexism, favoritism of any kind. In fact, it's the weak things, the weak ones that God chooses so that he might confound the wise. And if you find in your heart, or if others point out to you the possibility of discrimination happening in you. You need to drink deeply from Galatians chapter three and verse 28. And be reminded, in him we're equal. Somebody said it this way, that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all must go through Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow with me this morning. I just want to give you a moment to reflect on those questions. Are you in Christ? Does that bring about joy in you? Are you sharing those truths with others? And are you like some of the people in Galatia? Some of the people in Galatia thought they were better than others because they had higher standards. They followed the law more closely. Maybe you think you're better than others. Not in Christ, not in Him. Let me give you a moment to to pray to consider And I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, we thank you that we have a savior in Jesus. I'm thankful for the people who have shared that truth with me over the years. Oftentimes in my own home, in Sunday school classrooms, auditoriums like this. Thank you that people have faithfully shared the good news Help us to faithfully share the good news with each other. We're very easily pulled back into to legalistic ways of thinking. We're very easily pulled back into the anxiety of law keeping. And we need to be reminded that it's Christ in Christ alone. And I pray that you will help us as a church to keep that as the central message, the central thing that we say week in and week out, the central thing that brings encouragement, the central thing that brings hope and power. Help us to not deviate from that. And God, if you recognize any, any pride In my life, in the lives of any of the membership of this body that says, you know, I think I'm better than that person. I pray that you will root it out very quickly. That you'll keep us from that deadly demonic division that has destroyed so many, so many Jesus' followers in so many churches and tarnished the testimony of Christ in communities. God, protect us from that. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just, I want to go to one other passage with you, if you would, Philippians chapter 2. We all are capable of beginning to believe that I matter more. We can do that in our marriages, in our families, at our places of work, uh, and certainly that can happen in a church. That's what Galatians 3.28 is trying to get us to understand is that you don't matter more. We matter the same in Christ. But if you're here and you have that mentality, whether that is something you... Let me put it this way. I I don't think that anybody in this room would formally say that to your spouse. I don't think you would say guess what, honey? I matter more than you. And I don't think anybody in this room would turn to anybody else in this room and say, hey, I matter more to you, or my opinion matters more than you. Formally, we wouldn't do that, but functionally, we do that all the time. Philippians 2 gives us the the prescription, the antidote, help cure us of that mentality because if that mentality creeps into your marriage if that creeps into your family if that creeps into the way you're interacting with people at work and if it creeps into the church it will leave a a trail of destruction philippians 2 says this if there is any encouragement in christ since there is encouragement in christ that's the point there's comfort from love There's participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Since you have these things, Paul says, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Notice what he says in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours. What does it say? In Christ, Jesus. In Christ, we can have the mind that says your opinion matters more. Let's go with what you say. It's living by humility. I want that for your marriages. I want that for my marriage. I want that in my home. But as I stand before you as the pastor of Meadowview Baptist Church, I so desperately want that for this church. And I'm not saying this because I see issues going on. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this because we're at a text that reminds us we need to keep a watch for this and make sure that we are preferring one another, loving one another more than we love ourselves in the context of this beautiful, beautiful body that God has given to us. And so let's put on the mind of Christ and let's live according to this humility and this love towards each other.